Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. I hope you're enjoying this free podcast novel. It is provided free of charge for your listening pleasure. It is a chance for you to enjoy, completely free, this pulp sci-fi adventure series, which is, as I mentioned, free. Did I mention the word free enough to let the guilt set in? Cool. Right now, you can support the podcast by going to kickstarter.com slash projects slash Runes of Empire and get yourself a copy of Runes of Empire number two, Templum Venerous, before it even hits Amazon. You can get signed copies of the paperback, hardback, or even just throw a dollar in the pot to say, yep, I like what you're doing. Keep it up. And as always, thank you for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. After finding the lost city, the members of the Human Reconnection Project found some strange behavior happening at the city's refineries. Vago Spade took a detachment of the city's soldiers to investigate and found that the Corporation Marine, Sergeant Carr, was occupying the refinery complex and had armed a number of the forest people with a devastating weapon that should not exist on Titan. Vago managed to escape with a few of the city's soldiers leaving the refineries in Corporation control. Chapter 13 before the war, Earth glowed with the lights of a hundred megacities. After the war, the only light came from the fires of a world ignited. The light of civilization would not be seen for many generations. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath Despite her better instincts, Althea established an uplink to Vago's medical regulator. She told herself it was to look for any adverse reactions to Triple T. It was a dangerous drug, after all, not produced in any reputable lab, but in small clandestine operations with no regard to purity or sanitation. Using it in this way was a risky treatment, if you could call it that, and she had to be extra vigilant during this time. But in reality, she needed to know that Vago was alive out there. She touched her Eros computer and scrolled through the data. His pulse was racing, his blood pressure and adrenaline were lower than before, but still high for... She shut off the screen on her Eros computer and closed her eyes. All of the readings were perfectly normal for a man in his situation. She hoped that the lower readings meant that he was out of danger and on his way back, or, at very least, somewhere safe. Even if every single reading flatlined at once... There was nothing she could do from here. Althea needed a distraction. Easter and the Houston were conversing, and mostly in the native language now. She couldn't understand a word, so that left Kronos, who was typing away at the supercomputer's keyboards, oblivious to the world around him. She leaned against a console near him, smiled, and said, Have you found anything? Kronos didn't look away. Almost! I'm trying to bypass the lockdown protocol on the rest of the computer systems. I am almost there, but I have found something else. 
Something important. Something that continues, even while the whole system is in lockdown. It is the signal. Althea leaned closer to the screen. To her eyes, it didn't look like anything but a blur of symbols, scrolling endlessly top to bottom, moving so fast that it didn't register as anything with meaning. I don't understand, said Althea. What do you see here? It is a code, said Kronos, looking at her with a manic grin. A constant string of data being transmitted. Terabytes of data. Generated constantly, requiring the bulk of the machine's processing power. And this machine was designed to perfectly simulate the evolution of all life on Earth. What is it for? What does it say? Kronos's grin faded slightly, and he turned back to the screens. No idea. But there is so much. One does not dedicate a piece of art like this to a task if it's not important. He leaned close and whispered conspiratorially. And one does not elevate system maintenance to a religious practice without cause. He motioned with his head to the acolytes in the white robes, wandering between the server towers. Althea watched an acolyte open a panel, pulled out a keyboard on a rolling slide. He, or she, Althea couldn't tell with the hood, methodically typed a few commands, pushed the keyboard back into its place, and closed the panel. It's all ritualistic, Kronos explained. No thought paid to the process, and no understanding of the science, the wires, the code, transmission protocols, and data management. They understand none of it. They only know what to do, not why. Althea watched the acolytes at work, a religion based around the computers. It made a strange sort of sense. Althea considered herself reasonably proficient with computer technology, above average at any rate, but she had to admit a level of ignorance when it came to how it all worked. And what was magic, if not a catch-all explanation for things beyond most people's understanding? And what was religion, if not a way to control that which one does not understand? The sound of the main door sliding open and several loud footsteps on the steel catwalk made Althea jump. She wasn't expecting anyone quite so soon. Vago entered with a fire in his eyes that suggested he was bringing all the demons of hell with him. Two of the Houston soldiers tailed him. They too had a certain look in their eye, and the front of one of their coats was covered in blood. Vago cradled a rifle in his arms, more advanced than anything Althea had ever seen. Corporation Marines didn't even have such equipment. He stopped just inside the temple and, without a word, dropped the gun. It hit the catwalk with a resounding clang, like the toll of a funeral bell. The Houston approached, his mouth twisted in a sneer. Is the problem been resolved? Vago stared back defiantly. Not as such, no. The Houston inspected his soldiers, paying particular attention to the blood stain that covered the front of the woman's coat. And what of my other soldiers? Vago's eyes hardened into a glare that could shatter steel. The enemy is entrenched in the refineries. Our small force suffered heavy casualties in the encounter, and we were lucky to leave without a total loss. Mikelo and Alyssa here were the only survivors. The Houston bowed his head and clasped his hands together as if he were saying a prayer. He spoke a few words to his soldiers, who immediately bowed their heads and turned to leave the building. The Houston watched them leave for a moment before he shook his head. I trusted you. The Urbanoi trusted you. What has happened? Vago motioned to Isra. 
Well, that's what I aimed to ask her. Althea looked hard at Isra's face to see any trace of fear or confusion, repulsion or guilt. Something that would let Althea know what, if anything, Isra had to do with this. But her face was blank. Vago looked for it, too. When he couldn't find it, he said, What? You don't got nothing to say about that? Nothing at all? Isra sighed through her nose, as if the whole matter were a trivial annoyance. What would you like me to say? Vigo looked down at the gun at his feet. His voice was cold and mournful. Any damn thing. Lie to me. Tell me this tear ginyokye bias is not what it looks like. Tell me that it looks bad, but you've got an explanation. Tell me that Miekilaban set you up and you didn't do what I think you did. Althea didn't want to believe what she was looking at could be real. She wanted to believe that, against all reason, the rifle had always been here. But her eyes drifted over the tiny targeting screen built into the upper receiver, which housed sophisticated components built out of centuries of arms research. This couldn't have been created here, not on a planet that could barely maintain the computer equipment of a fallen civilization. She remembered the lock supply crates and how Isra changed when they were stolen, and she understood she didn't want to. She wanted there to be a different explanation, but there was only one that made any sense. Isra brought those guns to Titan. The room fell into an uncomfortable silence. Even Kronos stopped his incessant typing to turn and wait for a response. Althea desperately hoped the mission leader would have something, anything that could justify such a reckless action. But Isra was monotone and calculating like she was going to describe her own death with total medical accuracy. As I mentioned before, if we lose Titan, they will have everything they need to keep humanity under the corporate boot. The guns! yelled Vago. Tell me about the Tanzandu guns! I ain't seen nothing as sophisticated as them! Isra, as calm as ever, glanced back at the Houston. I am getting to that. Suffice it to say, the Ministry's orders were to succeed at all costs. What you found was a weapon that could be given to literally any person, anywhere, and the technology could compensate for their lack of training. Dubbed the Peasant Gun, it was developed by the Ministry to instantly turn citizens into soldiers, as deadly as the most highly trained Marines. It was meant to give us an edge, a way to apply sufficient force against the Corporation, if they decided to violate interplanetary law, which is clearly what they have done. Vago folded his arms. With your own guns, I might add. Your people, said the Houston, as if trying to wrap his mind around something. They have come to Titan to destroy us. It was them who killed my soldiers? Vago stepped back. It weren't people from Earth. Well, it was one man from Earth. But the rest, they were people from this planet. The forest people. The Perfendulois, as you say. The same ones we found dead outside the city walls. If you ask me, something don't make sense. Vago, Isra started. No. No more lies or secrets. Everyone's cards on the table right now. Houston, is anything you told us about the forest people true? What happens to the people you rescue? What the hell happened at the spaceport? The Houston closed his eyes. I did not want that. My people, the Urbanoi, want to help them to rescue their souls and bring them into the light of the Companio. 
But when the new star flashed in the sky, the Pertifindulo gathered against Companillo. They came to welcome those who would destroy us. I tried to convince them to leave, but in the end... The judgment of the Venganto was complete. There was nothing we could do. What is the Venganto? said Isra. The Houston regarded Isra and Vega with a look of slight contempt. The Venganto were left to us by the Companillo. When the ships first stopped coming, there were others, rivals of the Companillo, that came to take our city and destroy the Urbanoi. The Veganto protected us then. They protect us now. Vigo kicked the gun across the catwalk to the Houston's feet. Well, I don't suppose these Venganto want to fix the situation then. The Houston shook his head. They only come in darkness. That is why you and your people must leave before the eclipse. The Venganto will cleanse this world. Isra started to say something when three of the city's soldiers ran across the catwalk to the Houston. One of them whispered something in the Houston's ear. His face remained unchanged. He dismissed the soldiers and turned to Isra. I'm afraid your failure is complete, and we must put our faith in the Companillo. It was foolish to do otherwise. You must leave now. The Houston made a slight gesture, and the soldiers surged forward. A couple took Vega by the arms, a brave action since Vega was nearly a third taller than either of them and outweighed them by a factor of two. The other went to escort Althea out, and Isra yelled, Houston, this is not over. From what Cronus told me, you will need help using the computer to restore the refineries once we reclaim them. We just need time. The Houston turned his head toward the sky. I have heard the Companillo. They are clear. Remove all outsiders from the city. You want to hear Companillo? asked Kronos, turning back to the keyboard. All you had to do was ask. I have found their voice. Hear it now. The pyramid filled with an unholy screech. Althea covered her ears and winced. It was like the sound of a nail on chalkboard, recorded and then sent through a feedback loop. The noise lasted for a few seconds and then ended with a pop. When Althea uncovered her ears, there was a pleasant female voice instead. Those left behind, it is imperative to the continuation of Transplanetary Energy's work on Titan that you follow these procedures. The refinery complex must never be allowed to fail. All around her, the soldiers and even the Houston repeated the words, The refinery complex must never be allowed to fail. She realized that all the soldiers were on their knees. The Houston, still standing, stepped toward Kronos. You, you have found the voice of the Companillo. Kronos tapped a few keys, and the voice ceased. This, and much more. Files locked away for many hundreds of years. The Houston's face screwed up into some combination of pain and anger. For a brief moment, Althea worried that Kronos had committed a sin far greater than anything else up till now. Then the Houston turned and started walking toward the exit. The Companillo must have chosen you. You must be here to bring their message back to the people. He paused and turned around. You may stay here for the time being. Finish your work. I believe it would still be wise to leave this place before the eclipse. Salatoroi! Venu! With those words, the soldiers rose from their knees and scurried after the Houston. Vago folded his arms as he watched the entourage leave. 
Nice work, Kronos. Kronos raises goggles and grinned at the group. Deus ex machina. God from the machine. Vigo turned back to Isra. It's about the guns, you know. And if it ain't, it's only a matter of time. Whatever murderous little system existed here is done for. Now it's just murder and death for whoever ain't lucky enough to be packing. Isra sighed. For the first time, a flash of remorse crossed her face. Those guns were never meant to be removed from the containers. They were only there in case of an emergency. Vago leaned against the rail. Well, guess what, Isra? They're out now. What's worse, Sergeant Carr is leading the men that got him. Carr. That is... unfortunate. Althea couldn't believe what she was hearing. Unfortunate? Is that all this is to you? Unfortunate? In a rare display of emotion, Isra started pacing the catwalk. You are right. That was a poor choice of words. This is what we must do. We know where they are and who they are. We should talk to the Houston and have him assemble a larger army. Every person he can get. We force Carr and Laban out of the area by sheer force of numbers. Vigo stood with his mouth open. Althea couldn't quite wrap her mind around it either. Isra was always irritatingly methodical and logical, but this? This was madness bordering on delusion. Vigo took off his hat and rubbed his head. Isra, would you listen to what you're saying? I lost three men in a matter of minutes. Now you want to grab everyone in the city and march them in front of machine guns. What's the matter? Does Laban not work fast enough for your liking? Althea stepped forward. He's right, Isra. We can't in good conscience keep leading people to their deaths. Isra closed her eyes. They are dead anyway. If Carr has those guns, then it's only a matter of time. The only thing we can do, the only chance we have, that these people have, is to try and recover those guns. Vega replaced his hat. Listen to me carefully. There ain't no fixing it. It's over. Laban's got the people, the guns, in a fortified position. A coordinated military operation would be hard-pressed to force them out, never mind a bunch of people waving sticks. I'm sorry, Isra, but it's time to negotiate. Isra closed her eyes. There will be no negotiation. We have nothing to negotiate with. The only thing we could offer would be our complete and unconditional withdrawal. Vago spun around and headed for the main entrance. Let's do that, then. Seems we've done enough damage. What we don't kill, Laban can finish. Althea went after him. Vago, where are you going? Vago didn't even pause or slow down. Going for a walk, Althea. Need to get my mind right. Being outside the pyramid and away from Isra didn't help near enough in Vago's estimation. He tore down the street, kicking the odd bit of trash and scaring onlooking children. There was static in his ear, followed by Althea's voice for a split second before he switched it off. An ear-piercing trumpet call reverberated through the city. It was the same he heard earlier while he was watching the mammoths, only now it was so near that it made his teeth vibrate. For reasons he didn't completely understand, he started walking in the direction of the noise. Maybe it was just his body running on autopilot while his mind worked, or maybe it was to satisfy some curiosity about the city. He didn't know, nor did he give it much consideration. He found himself near the city gates. The space around them was an open, grassy courtyard, maybe the only spot like it in the city except for the space around the pyramid. But while that space looked immaculately kept, this lawn was overgrown and neglected. 
as if it were kept up just enough so that they would have space for what came next. The gate opened, and five huge mammoths charged through and formed a circle in the courtyard, corralled by twenty or so Urbanoi people. Through a series of yelled commands and complicated movements, the wranglers managed to cut two mammoths from the herd and drive them into two huge metal cages. Then came several men carrying sharpened spears, each twice as long as a single person. Vago's eyes narrowed as he watched the slaughter. It was simple, quick, and brutally efficient, and it all happened under the disinterested eyes of the rest of the herd. There was something irritatingly poignant about the scene. Each animal had enough power contained within it to bust out. It could trample its captors, ram through the city walls, and be free, but it didn't. There was a routine, and, even if they knew or cared how it ended, they followed through with an almost mechanical precision. The city would end the same way. Even the Houston had to see that. But he couldn't bring himself to change it. Same with Isra. They were all going to follow the same script and dance the same routine right until the end. And it's the same with me, Vago thought, as his hand groped the inside of his pocket, feeling for the little glass capsules of Triple T that weren't there. All of them, every single person on this moon, and probably in the universe, all stuck in cycles that will ultimately destroy them. And all because they lack the will or courage to make the change. A group of four city soldiers ran by at a full sprint, and several more followed. The citizens, still corralling the mammoths or butchering the meat, dropped what they were doing and ran toward the city gate. They climbed up narrow stairways that led to the top of the wall where they could see over. In a few short minutes, the area around the gates was crowded with people running in every conceivable direction. Soldiers arrived carrying huge logs on their shoulders. The city gate rode on wheels that moved on metal rails like a train track. Soldiers jammed the logs in between the wheels and braced them with even more logs. Soon it would have taken a jet engine to move that door. Vago had the urge to grab one of the soldiers and ask what was going on. That was stupid, of course. Even if they understood him, he wouldn't understand the answer. More soldiers ran up a long, narrow stairway that ran along the wall all the way to the top. There they gathered in a line along the edge, pointing and talking among themselves with obvious excitement and fear. Bago charged up the stairs as fast as he could. He jostled other soldiers in the process who yelled something as he passed. He got to the top and looked out over the city walls. There was an army massing. There was no mistaking it. Judging from their animal skin clothing, long hair, and lanky build, it was the forest people. There were hundreds, and they looked eager to take their revenge. That, in and of itself, didn't bother Vago. There was no way Isra could have brought enough guns to arm every single one of them, and, even if she did, the city wall would provide ample protection. What worried him was an object he watched the Corporation Marines pushing through the forest just beyond the open grassland. It was a machine with two long square metal bars that jutted out from a rough dome-shaped structure. This, in turn, was mounted to a platform carried by three wheels, two large in front and a smaller one in back. All in all, it didn't look unlike ancient cannons humans used when they first invented gunpowder. It was a compact version of an artillery railgun. The two square beams charged with electricity 
would accelerate a projectile to a velocity approaching light speed. The result was a weapon that could do incalculable damage. Well, that was the idea. The railgun Vega could see in the breaks in the foliage could only get a tiny projectile up to a fraction of that. On Earth, small variations like this would be a joke. It would be like showing up to a gunfight with an air rifle. But on Titan, there was no weapon that could compare. Besides, it didn't need much power. All it had to do was blast through a wall. Even this small version could do that easily. Another glint in the forest caught his eye, and he saw another railgun being wheeled through the trees toward the city. Then another, and another. Four in total. Laban wasn't going to be satisfied with tearing down the wall. He intended to level the whole city. Vago activated his Eros computer. Isra, are you there? There was a crackle of radio static, and Isra's annoyed voice was in his ear. Vago, where are you? I'm sitting on the city wall. We've got a whole lot of badness rolling in on us. It is no better here. The Houston has lost his mind. Make your way to my position. Follow my beacon. And be careful. Vago sprinted back down the stairs. When he got to the bottom, he turned and headed toward Isra's blip on the satellite radar. It looked like Isra was going to have her war. Whether she wanted it or not, or whether there was any means of fighting it or not, she was going to have it. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.